So we are working through the Psalms this summer, and we're in Psalm 39 today. So if you will, grab a Bible or an app or something and and, uh, join me there in Psalm 39. Some years ago, Travis told me that uh, sometimes a worship service should be less exciting and and more somber, more more thoughtful. Uh, And he said that that God's given us this wide range of emotions as, as humans, as people, and and those are reflected in the scriptures, and so they should be reflected in our songs and in our prayers and in our sermons and, and in the worship service in, in general should reflect that. Uh, and at the time, I kind of thought he was just a grouchy old man. Uh, I still think that. Um, <clears throat> because there's this sense that every time we get together, you, you want the excitement, you want the joy, you want to walk away encouraged, and you do. But sometimes there's a, a more somber way to walk away encouraged and so I knew he was right at that time even um, because our responsibility as, as elders with, with Travis and and Tim as, as caring for a congregation of, of people is to prepare you not only to live with joy but also to suffer and die with confidence in the love of Jesus Christ um, our good and our gracious Savior so our text today is Psalm 39 and and, and this psalm takes us into the heart of King David as he finds himself in this great discretion, he's crying out to the God who is. And, and, and as we, we read this, you know, and as you, uh, we read, I, I think you're going to find it interesting that this psalm was written for worship. And that's interesting because um, it's written to be, to be sung, to be proclaimed, you know, to be in a, a public worship service, which is why it is addressed to the choir master, uh, Jedithan. And Jedithan was one of three men who David had, had appointed to lead the, the singing in the, in, in the temple. Um, so it's interesting because uh, not only does God permit his people to complain to him, not only uh, does he listen to our complaints, but here in this case, he has actually recorded the complaints of, uh, of one of his people, one of his servants of King David and his holy word, so that his people throughout all generations can walk through that same experience with David. Uh, and so we're going to read all 13 verses in this psalm right from the start. And then we're going to look at this lament a little closer in four smaller sections as we go through that. So... Uh, If you've got it open, follow along with me. Psalm 39, beginning in verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute in silence. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. 
Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold fast, or hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let's pray. Lord God, apart from you there is no ultimate hope. For all other hope is bound by the borders of life and death. My prayer this morning is that you would be real to us, that you would draw us into your word and, and give us faith, real faith, and make us bold to live for your glory in the days that we have and to rest in your goodness when those days run out. Give us understanding this morning as we work through this 39th Psalm. Enlighten our minds and comfort our souls as only you can. In Jesus' great and holy name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, Many, many years ago, uh, when I was still a young man in my early 20s, it seems like forever ago now, um, I was listening to Pastor John Piper, and he said something that has uh, forever stayed with me. I never meant to memorize it. I don't recall when or where he actually said it, but the idea was seared into my mind the moment it had left his lips that day. And what he said was this. He said, anything that makes you more comfortable more at home on planet earth is dangerous to your soul. And that's because our, our souls are eternal and life as we know it on this beautiful earth isn't our final destination. This isn't our home as it currently exists. And, and as a, a pastor, I'll reiterate, reiterate what I've already said, but my, my job, my calling at the very heart is to prepare you to face the suffering that will eventually come into your life. Because we are sinners who are living in a sinful world. So, I admit, if I sound a little more somber today than usual, a little less funny, a little less ridiculous, um, it's because the brevity of life has just seemed really real to me lately. I, I've wrestled with some anxiety. I've had nights of restless thoughts. I've, I've fought these struggles with the truth that's in this, this book. And the, and the Lord has been good because he holds out hope to everyone who, who desires it, who looks to him for it. And he has been good for that. And the, the truth is, this is the psalm, Psalm 39, uh, it might make us a little uncomfortable, and that's okay. You know, sometimes it's, it's good for us. It's good for our souls when our hearts are uncomfortable. And I, I chose to preach this psalm quite a while ago. I know I mentioned something similar in Psalm 73 two weeks ago. But, uh, you know, it was a great surprise to me recently when, when last Sunday afternoon I opened up the, the Bible to read through it for the first time in, in preparation to, to, to preach it. The first time in a few months. And, and I was just taken aback. I was uh, surprised that the, the providence of God in this selection was an, an unexpected answer to my prayers. And I suspect if, if this doesn't hit you in the face like a tree today... One day, one day, it will. And so I am grateful that we get to walk through this together this morning. Um, now, I've certainly given you a long enough introduction. When you say we jump right into the passage itself? And uh, in the first section here, David shares what he, uh, was, that he was careful to be silent about his suffering. And the reason is that he is in the presence of, of, of wicked people, as he calls them. He, he cares for the reputation of God in this moment. And it's still true today that those who outright reject 
the Christian faith, they're always watching the words. They're always watching the actions of those who are, who are Christians, those who profess faith for any excuse to really justify their rejection of Christianity. And there is certainly a place for authenticity, for transparency with, with fellow believers, but to do so in the presence of those who care nothing for the glory of God is, is simply not the right place for that. But we see here the distress that he is facing grows worse and worse. He certainly is wrestling with a sense of anger at God, and he says here that he mused. We don't use that word muse very often. Um, to muse means to think with your mind, to, to ponder over something. Uh, it's interesting, this is where we get our word for amusement um, in, in our English. You know, the, the prefix is always negating whatever comes after it, such that it, so that muse actually, you know, uh, muse becomes amusement, meaning that it means to, to not think, to not ponder, to just put those thoughts out completely, you know, not think about life and God, not think about death and salvation, not think about anything really, right? Uh, amusement is where most Americans actually live their day-to-day -day lives because it's a comfortable place to be. In fact, our, our generation today might just be the most distracted generation in the history of the world. We have more things to amuse ourselves than any other generation in history. But, but David here, he mused. He, he pondered his sufferings. The, the specifics of his suffering are quite vague here. You know, perhaps he's pondering the same some of the same things we may be pondering. Why this disease? Why this failure? Why all this anxiety? Why is my marriage like this? Why, uh, why is my faith so weak? Why is my child suffering? Uh, finally, he confesses that he could no longer hold it. He hold it in, and, and his heart just burst forth. And he spoke. But he doesn't complain, right? He doesn't go complaining to the wicked. He complains to God. He, he prays and speaks directly to God himself. You see it there in verse 4. He, he addresses God saying, Oh Lord! And then we see these, these seven statements in three short verses where he is asking to, to know, to really feel the shortness of his life. Russ Ramsey, a, a pastor John Dunning, ministered alongside for, for many years in a, a book he recently wrote called Struck, tells how on the eve of his 39th birthday, he um, learned that his heart was severely damaged, one of the ventricles, and um, he'd need major surgeries, maybe even a heart replacement. And, and later, he looks back at that, and he said of that, he said this, he said, My affliction has provided something people rarely possess, objective data, that my heart is failing. But in truth, my position is really no different than anyone else's. Not when it comes to the question of our mortality. You know, he's experienced what David is, is praying to know here. Life really is short. If I'm honest, I would assume most of us would pray quite the opposite of David here. You know, God, make me blissful, blissfully ignorant of the shortness of life. Just put it away. I don't even want to think about it. Just may I not even think about it. And yet over and over and over in the Word of God, we're, we're shown the reality of our mortality. We see it in the book of Job when, when in verses, uh, eight, eight, verse 8 9, he says, Our days on earth are as a shadow. If you were here when we went to the book of Ecclesiastes, we saw it over and over again. We, we see it in the book of James, verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, when he teaches us there. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and we will spend a year there, and we will trade, and we will make a profit. 
You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. David, in, in our, our psalm, ends this section then by pointing out that, uh, you know, how we stress about collecting wealth and who really knows what's going to happen of it, who really cares really, right? Let me, let me ask you, you know, we want to make sure this, this hits on some personal level. Um, are you living in a way that reflects a deep-seated belief that this life, as we are living it now, will go on forever? I'm not asking what your theological conviction is about that. I'm asking, are you living as though death will never come? And it's a very easy mindset to fall into. And it's a very uncomfortable mindset to get out of. So before we, we finish this portion, let me, let me encourage you by way of reminder, though, that as odd and perplexing as the shortness of life might be, it is still something that the Lord, our Lord, by design, has willed for, for us, each and, and every one of us. It's part of his good design. The third portion of our passage here consists of verses 7 to 11. Um, this is just this heart-wrenching plea from David, and, and here we see really two things. Uh, one, he believes that his suffering is from the hand of the Lord. We see that in verses eight and, uh, 9 and 10. And two, he believes... It is because of sin he has committed. And we see that in verses 8 and 11. Uh, in verse 9, he is confessing his, his loss at words, which is a little ironic because he's using words to confess his loss of words uh, to God. He, he's not claiming innocent here. That's important. He's not claiming innocence. He's not accusing God of injustice. Uh, he is waving the white flag before his mighty maker, asking for mercy. I am spent, he says. You don't even have to be told. You can feel the tears in that statement. I am spent. See, suffering has a way of making the trivial seem trivial. It brings to light just how fleeting life is. You know, uh, whatever the specifics are here, sickness, depression, whatever it is, he, he can't continue with it. And he tells the Lord this. He is asking for mercy. But the suffering's not without purpose. You know, David's reminded that the, the, that the hand that has sovereignly administered this suffering is the same hand that can sovereignly deliver him from this suffering. The suffering has, has served to draw David back to the Lord himself, and there's nothing greater than that. And this psalm's kind of constructed like a mountain. We tend to look for the, the end to be where everything builds toward it, but uh, like a mountain, the high point's right in the middle, verse 7 of the psalm, uh, uh, the hope for both King David and, and we and our fallen condition is, is the same. It, it reads, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Where is his hope to get past this current suffering? It's in God. Where, where is our hope? You know, as the, the fabric of our nation, at least from most perspectives, we, we see falling apart. As we continually age, as each new threat to our life approaches, and, and we see sin in the world just wreak havoc on everything that should be wonderful. Where is our hope? And here's the thing. You, you know the answer already. You, you know it right here. You do. But if you want the, the comfort of that truth, you've got to know that the Lord is your hope here. You've got to deeply, fully know it in your core. 
Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. We must learn to wait on the Lord and to hope in the Lord too. James Montgomery Boyce, who's with the Lord today, um, years ago pointed out that this is the point of God's rebukes and discipline. What, what God is making of men and women now is forever. What we do here matters. The source of our hope matters. Who we become in these short years truly matters. And so then this, this prayer comes to this end. Here in these last two verses, Paul is, is crying out to the God of the universe to just, to just hear him. And what we see is a, a contrite man when he is, he is pleading with the Lord. And he says this, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your presence at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. You see, to confess that we are sojourners is to confess that, that we are flesh and bone. It's to confess that we are indeed body and, and soul. We are human through and through. We are finite creatures of an infinite God. It occurred to me recently, maybe this occurred to you a long time ago, there, you know, um, not only were the seven billion people on the earth today not, um, not here when God created the earth, but but there also wasn't a single one of the exact plants that are here, or microorganisms, or uh, you know, even the, the seemingly indestructible cockroach is actually a, a descendant from another cockroach and another cockroach. You know, every living creature was born or grown from another living thing. There's nothing here living that was here when God created it, except God. Even he's outside of that, right? And we as, as humans, as the, the pinnacle of God's creation, we're really all just, just visitors. We're like travelers in a, a hotel room. Last, last week I rode a bicycle across a portion of Missouri for reasons I don't fully understand myself. Um, and, and a few months ago, the, the pastor I was traveling with booked us a place at this newly renovated hotel, uh, the nicest hotel in Boonville, Missouri, which was surprisingly nice. Um, somehow our, our room was given away though. And so when we get there, they, they tell us we don't have a room for you. Um, but as hotels tend to do, they gave us a nicer room, and so that worked out well for us. And, and, and I mean, it was really nice. It had a jacuzzi in it, which after a day of riding a bike was wonderful. It had two big beds, which was really important. Um, it had a great desk. It had this artsy lamp that I really liked. It, it was just a, a wonderful, you know, the wonderful kind of place that you could get used to being in. But, but the truth is, we were merely visitors staying for the night there. You know, everything in that hotel room was, was only ours in the sense that, that it was our room so long as we were occupying the room. Whether, and that's kind of the reality here. You know, whether you stay in a hotel for a night or two weeks or two months, it, it doesn't change the fact that none of it is really yours. You're just staying the night. And so, so are we too, you know. We're just staying on this earth for a little while. So, so hold on to all these things lightly. But hold fast to the Lord, because at some point we all have to check out of uh, the, the life we live hotel. And so we rest in the Lord. <clears throat> we, we rest in the Lord who in, in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, in the verses 2 and 3, tells us this. He says, in my Father's house are, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again... And I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Man, those are glorious words. 
So whereas Philippians 3.20 points out, so when, it, when it tells us our citizenship is in heaven and, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't say this to, to depress you in any way. You know, enjoy the gift of life. Really enjoy it because it is a gift. Enjoy days at the pool. Enjoy, you know, sitting on the beach. Enjoy evening games of baseball or grilling out in the backyard. Enjoy the taste of, of good drink and, and the rhythm of fine music. But, but know that these aren't yours to keep. And that's okay. Because we have life eternal. And that will be greater than any life we know. I, and, I, and I know that's hard for us as wealthy Americans. It really is, you know. We love this life. It is good. It's difficult to imagine that, that God has something better. But, but the Lord who created a world that contains all the joys we know has told us that there is an eternal home that contains all the joys we don't know. In our passage here, in the end, what, what David is asking for is, is for whatever suffering he's facing to be lifted. He wants it to be lifted so that he can enjoy life again while he still lives it. He, you know, and then he's asking here, he's asking God to look away from him. You've got to understand what he means by that. He's, he's not asking God to leave him. He's asking God to, to withdraw the discipline he's facing. Mercy. This is a, a contrite man who is, who is saying, you know, God, I just want to be close to you again. I just want to enjoy this life you've given me again. And that's, that's where it ends. Remember back in verse 7, that's where we see the, the great hope. <clears throat> All right, so that brings us to the end of the text. So, you know, it's a, a terrifying and, and wonderful thing to know just how fragile your life is. I uh, read the book by Russ Ramsey recently. So again, I, let me just tell you in that book, he said this. He said, affliction is bound to find us. And when it does, whatever faith we possess along with all its convictions regarding the meaning of life and the next, it is tested. And so if you know, if you, if you really know and you feel the truth that you're going to die, then it can lead to two different responses. And this is why it makes us so uncomfortable. When, when doubt rules in your heart, when, when doubt has a seed there, when, when you look at the many religions of the world, when you, when you try to reconcile everything that you observe happening in the history of the world, so, uh, you know, so that um, the way God is working in the world... It, you know, makes sense to you. When, when that's your struggle, when you, when you stand and, and you just declare, God, it doesn't make sense, the world doesn't make sense, then despair spreads through us like a dark cloud just manifesting itself as fear in the night. That is a miserable way to live. But when faith in Jesus is real, when you trust in, in what God has chosen to reveal to you, when, you, when you rest in the promise of a glorious eternal life, a real existence in a paradise, paradise too wonderful for our imaginations, when we know that to be true, then that knowledge of our own death works to refocus our lives in, in better directions. You know, boldness to speak of the goodness of God because you believe the goodness of God. The energy to patiently love your children, to, to serve our, our neighbor and our, our fellow Christians, not, not merely with duty, but with, with real joy. You know, glowing screens lose their luster and, and people become more interesting as you look to them and you see they have souls. So there are a few answers in this life, or a few questions in this life that we've got to answer. You know, is, is this book real? This thing we call the Bible? You know, as the God who reveals himself in this, this book present here in our world, in our lives. Has he forgiven 
your sin and prepared a place for you in eternity. You know, we, we just, we've got to know these things because eventually they matter. Eventually the diagnosis or the accident will, will render the, the rest of life secondary to this ultimate truth. This psalm is the desperate cry of one who vividly feels the brevity of his life here on earth. But in the gospel, we are promised that this life we live is not all our life. That when this life ends, it is not the end. When we are united to Christ, we can rest in the future inheritance that, that gives us an eternal home in the kingdom of God. And in Hebrews 11, that's a beautiful passage, a beautiful chapter. Hebrews 11 talks about uh, the faith of, of men and women in history. And in verses 13 and 16, it gives us this beautiful picture of the future. It says this, <clears throat> These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had come out, they, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Christians, you know that at the moment of your death, you will awaken in glory with your Savior. You've got to know that. You've got to know that so you can hope in that and, and let that be the lens for which you live your life through. In Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist is praying and he says to God, he says, So, so teach, me to number, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And what is wisdom but to know how to follow the Lord well? Many of you remember Sarah Arnett and Will Arnett, I hope. They were in the Army and they've since moved to Georgia. But they had this, this wonderful quote hanging in their kitchen. And I remember every time I was, I was there, I would see this quote. Uh, it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And it stood there in the kitchen as a, a daily reminder uh, to them. So the question is, how do, we, how do we live for the Lord? How do we face the brevity of life and not lose hope? Let me give you just a few ways. We're, we're nearing the end, I promise. Um, first, we acknowledge moment by moment that the Lord is good. That God is God. And that we don't have to have all the answers. You don't need to make sense out of the entire world. We only need to put our trust in our, our loving and caring and redeeming Heavenly Father. <clears throat> and that's number two. <clears throat> And we put our trust in the Lord. We, we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal hopes, but also for satisfaction even today. And in other words, you know, we're asking this question, what, what are your hopes? Are you, are you counting on marriage or children or, or job or retirement to bring fulfillment in your life? Don't. Those are wonderful gifts. But don't count on them to, to, to do that. Trust in the Lord. Um, one more, and, and this might sound strange at first. But we, we pursue holiness. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Which is great, right? But what's it actually have to do with this psalm? Um, you know, as I, I kept reading this psalm this week, the thing that kept hitting me, the thing that, you know, sometimes you just, why? Why is it there? Why does it say that? I, I kept wondering, why, why does a man who feels he is suffering at the hand of God want to know how short his life is what what's the connection between the shortness of life and and sin 
What is it? Here, here, here's where I believe the answer is. Sin, sin loses its luster in the context of eternity. You know, cheating for academic or professional success loses its luster when eternity is on your mind and, and right there. Sexual sin of all variety loses their power to, to tempt when the brevity of life is just felt in your heart. I mean, you, you name the sin. You know, when death seems imminent, sin's power to control you is cut off. You know, the, the ultimate becomes ultimate. That, that's why the apostle writing in 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners. Remember we talked about that as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is a, a plea from the apostle for, for the Christians to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, the heavenly, eternal kingdom to which we belong. Because you know, when, when, when Tony and I checked out of that amazing hotel, it was really sad to leave the jacuzzi in, in Boonville, Missouri but that, that morning. But, but we weren't afraid of what came next. We, we weren't afraid because we knew that there was a home waiting for us, a, a family. There was a place waiting for us. And the same comfort that it gives to our temporal lives should give us comfort in our eternal lives that because the Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a place for all who are united to him through faith. We haven't seen this home. The brochure is incredibly vague. That can be frustrating. But, but, <clears throat> but we know that our, our good and our gracious Heavenly Father will welcome us because of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. He will welcome us into this family. And so let us rest in that. And I mean that. I know these are some heavy topics here. They're heavy to me. Maybe they're heavy for you. But there's nothing more glorious than the confidence that, that our God has prepared a place for us eternally. There's nothing that gives more meaning to the life that we now live. Let's pray. Lord, if our sin has led us into suffering, would your grace and mercy lead us to repentance? If our suffering is simply the result of sin in the world, would you be our comfort and our hope? Would you make us to enjoy the gift of life today, to enjoy the sun shining and the taste of food on our, our lips, the joy of friendships, and, and yet would you free us to do so knowing that something yet better awaits us, that when we've checked out of this hotel we call life, we come home to you, who have loved us and will forever love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.